Blog Talk Radio. politicians from the 13 American colonies come together in this building, right here, to plot what turns out to be a revolution. A contentious Continental Congress needs to set forth some convincing reasons for declaring war. Congress turns to a brilliant 33-year-old aristocrat from Virginia, Thomas Jefferson. In a matter of days, the red-haired wonder writes one of the most celebrated manifestos for human freedom and self-government in the history of Western civilization. The Continental Congress authorizes Philadelphia printer John Dunlap to print 200 broadsides, poster-sized sheets. The document, unsigned, is then rushed to waiting horsemen who put it in their saddlebags and gallop throughout the colonies. See if this revolutionary war is to be won Thousands of farmers and tradesmen must be persuaded to take up arms and fight. And they do. And not many people realize it today, but scholars believe Jefferson intended for the Declaration to be performed and not just read. Its words and rhythms were written to be spoken in proud and defiant tones in grand public places. It's a safe bet that the Continental Congress never had in mind a performer like me. That is to say, a black man. Thomas Jefferson was not ignorant of the problem of slavery, of course. He called it a moral and political depravity. And in the original draft of the Declaration, denounced the slave trade as a cruel war against human nature itself. But Congress thought better of this particular item and deleted it. In fact, there was no mention of slavery or black people or of women, for that matter, in this preeminent statement on the equal rights of man. So it makes you wonder, how could a man who himself held slaves write with such incredible passion and eloquence about human liberation and the promise of a democratic republic? Why, some may ask, do I bring up such embarrassing truths on this glorious occasion? I answer, The real glory of the Declaration of Independence has been our nation's epic struggle throughout history to close the gap between the ideals of this remarkable document and the sometimes painful realities of American life. The Declaration symbolizes the birth of our nation, of course, but also the constant struggle to achieve its ideals. Consider, the words of this document inspired the French Revolution in 1789. 200 years later, the revolt of Chinese students in Tiananmen Square. It inspired Abraham Lincoln to issue the Emancipation Proclamation, 
Martin Luther King Jr. to fight for civil rights and women's suffragettes to fight for the vote. This business of fulfilling the Declaration of Independence is a difficult struggle, but it is also an ennobling struggle. Jefferson called the Declaration an expression of the American mind. It is why this nation is so great and why I am so proud to be an American. Here now are those sentiments as first expressed in this very place. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let that be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable only to tyrants. He has called together legislative bodies that places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected 
whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise. The state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states. For that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of land. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislature. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us. For protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states. For cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent. For depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our government. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is, at this time, transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy, scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy of the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. 
We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. And we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them, as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states. That they are absolved from all allegiance to the British Crown. And that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Everybody and welcome to the C. Robert Jones Conservative Report. I am Cool Mike in for Doc Jones today. It is Wednesday, the 16th of May. I love the Declaration of Independence. It's always a great way to begin a program. Today in history, let's look back. May 16th, 1868. In Washington, the U.S. Senate fails by one vote to convict President Andrew Johnson on the first article of impeachment against him. Johnson is eventually acquitted on all charges, prompted by his clashes with the post-Civil War Congress, and serves out the rest of his time in office. 1929. And the winner is... The first Academy Awards. The Oscars are presented during a banquet at Hollywood's Roosevelt Hotel. The movie Wings wins for Best Production. Emil Jannings wins for Best Actor. Janet Gaynor wins for Best Actress. 1905. Wherever there's a fight so hungry people can eat, I'll be there. Actor Henry Fonda is born in Grand Island, Nebraska. Among his movie roles, The Grapes of Wrath, Twelve Angry Men, and On Golden Pond. And 1990. Sammy Davis Jr., singer, dancer, actor, and member of the Las Vegas Rat Pack, dies of cancer in Los Angeles at age 64. Also that same year, Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. In New York, Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets, from Kermit the Frog to Sesame Street, dies of pneumonia at age 54. Today in history, May 16th, 
Mike Gracia, the Associated Press. Always fun to look back on history. Always. Um, let me go ahead and read the description. Uh, first of all, thank you, everyone, as always, for being here. Uh, African Education, Alexander Solo, Black Owen Bloom, C. Bosta, Casnovia, Clay, Evil Clown, the guests, which I'm going to assume are Ben and Robert, or OAJ. I am Galt, Swing Easy, and the Binary Prince. Now, welcome, everybody. Today's show is dedicated, as all of the shows I take place in, in loving memory of Michael, of Sergeant Michael Murphy, who died Operation. Well, let's get to know him a little bit with a little tribute. Michael also earned the respect of his men. They remember a wise, cracking friend who went by Mikey or Murph. They remember a patriot who wore a New York City firehouse patch on his uniform in honor of the heroes of 9-11. And they remember an officer who respected their opinions and led them with an understated yet unmistakable sense of command. Together, Michael and his fellow SEALs deployed multiple times around the world in the war against the extremists and radicals. And while their missions were often carried out in secrecy, their love of country and devotion to each other was always clear. On June 28, 2005, Michael would give his life for these ideals. While conducting surveillance on a mountain ridge in Afghanistan, he and three fellow SEALs were surrounded by a much larger enemy force. Their only escape was down the side of a mountain, and the SEALs launched a valiant counterattack while cascading from cliff to cliff. But as the enemy closed in, Michael recognized that the survival of his men depended on calling back to the base for reinforcements. With complete disregard for his own life, he moved into a clearing where his phone would get reception. He made the call, and Michael then fell under heavy fire. Yet his grace and upbringing never deserted him. Though severely wounded, he said thank you before hanging up and returned to the fight before losing his life. Unfortunately, the helicopter carrying the reinforcements never reached the scene. It crashed after being struck by a rocket-propelled grenade. And in the end, more Americans died in Afghanistan on June 28, 2005 than on any other day since the beginning of Operation Enduring Freedom. This day of tragedy also is the sad distinction of being the deadliest for Navy, Navy Special Warfare Forces since World War II. One of Michael's fellow SEALs did make it off the mountain ridge. He was one of Michael's closest friends. Petty Officer Marcus Luttrell of Texas, author of a riveting book called Lone Survivor, put it this way, Mikey was the best officer I ever knew, an iron-souled warrior of colossal and almost unbelievable courage in the face of the enemy. For his courage, we award Lieutenant Michael Murphy the first medal of honor for combat in Afghanistan. And with this medal, we acknowledge a debt that will not diminish with time and can never be repaid. Our nation is blessed to have volunteers like Michael who risk their lives for our freedom. We're blessed to have mothers and fathers like Maureen and Dan Murphy who raise sons of such character and courage. And we're blessed with the mercy of a loving God who comforts 
all those who grieve. And now I ask Michael's parents to join me on stage, and the military aide will read the citation.
you know, my fellow Amer- fellow Americans, every single day we have an obligation, and that is to defend the Constitution of the United States against all our enemies, against both houses, against anybody, enemies, against all our enemies. This is not an option. This is our solemn duty, so help us God. I wonder if we have taxpayers have just lost our backbone, if we've lost our backbone or just our way. Since when did unelected officials tell we the people what type of light bulbs and toilets we can use? It's time to remind every branch of government, federal, state, local, metro, you name it. It's time to remind government they work for us and not vice versa. This republic will only last as long as you and I are willing to fight for it. What does it mean to be an American? When a silent majority allows their nation to lose its common sense, that nation is lost, and you are allowing them to take your country away from you. Is it common sense to adore the altar of multiculturalism? Read your world history. Not one nation has survived as a multiculture. It's the uniculture that is your strength. One country, one culture, one language. Is it common sense that 84% of the people want to make English the official language of America, but your majority political party espouses insanity, ignores the people, and says no? Is it common sense that 53 countries, mostly in Africa, have declared English to be their national language, and the party who declares we will unite you says, press two for Spanish? Is it common sense to adopt your new national religion of diversity when the very word means disunity? We founded a country on similarities, not diversities. One country, one culture, one language. You cry out for unity, but is it common sense to continue to identify yourselves by your ethnicities and not your nationalism? White hyphen America, black hyphen America, Chinese hyphen America, Hispanic hyphen American, gay and lesbian hyphen American, the black caucus, the Hispanic caucus, the woman's caucus. You want unity? Change your language. Isn't it time once again we all became just plain Americans? Or is that too much common sense? Is it your new common sense now to stand up and cheer when a presidential candidate wants to hand over the health care system to that same government who has run Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and 12 other entitlement programs into bankruptcy? A government bureaucracy who can't run a railroad, your airports, secure your borders, or find 15 to 20 million illegal aliens. That same government that allows Islamic women to take their driver's license picture wearing a neck scarf covering their face because it offends their belief. What's next? Allowing the Ku Klux Klan wearing their hoods? Is it common sense to bankrupt the American Treasury? Fighting wars for countries whose silent majority won't fight for themselves? Your debt is now $9.4 trillion. Is it common sense to continue to give away $9 billion of taxpayer money to unfriendly countries in foreign aid, including $2 billion a year to Egypt, who votes against the United States 80% of the time in the United Nations? All this while your own inner cities crumble. Forty percent of your high school graduates can only read or write at a fourth grade level. You have to import people from China and India for your high-tech industry because you haven't got enough smart people in America. And New Orleans and the flood victims of Iowa continue to be forgotten. This is madness. Lay down your misplaced global burden and rebuild America first. You can't support the world while neglecting your own country. 
Are you unifying the country with common sense when both of your presidential candidates cry out, we must show compassion for the 15 to 20 million invaders from south of your border? But not one word of compassion for the overburdened American taxpayer who is forced to subsidize the invaders by paying over $250 billion of their hard-earned money to establish America as the welfare department of a failed, corrupt foreign country. Are you unifying your country with common sense by sending out your utility bills and your Social Security checks in Spanish? Legal and illegal immigrants have no incentive to learn your unifying language because you make it easy for them not to assimilate. How many of you write in big letters across that bill, English only please, and send it back? Stop bending over backwards to accommodate every other culture but your own. Is it common sense to allow your activist judges to ignore your history, your culture, your declaration of independence, and every other founding document to remove God from public life? And endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, their creator, not the ACLU, not the will of the atheists, or the anti-Americans that sit on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco. Separation of church and state, yes. Separation of God from public life, never intended by your founding fathers. Is it common sense that the very political party who claims to be the party of the people and shouts, we will bring change, consistently stops all common sense legislation to secure your borders, establish workplace verification, and stop taxpayer money for illegals? They call themselves progressive global thinkers. We had another word for them in 1776. We called them traitors. This happened all once before. 232 years ago, it led to revolution and thousands of dead in the streets. It will happen again unless you take back America now. Join the grassroots movement of the second American revolution, not of guns and violence, but pressure, pressure, pressure on your non-representing representatives who created these problems in the first place. This is the most important phone number in your democracy, the congressional switchboard. Pick up your phone every day, every hour if need be, and call your representatives and tell them in no uncertain language to listen to the silent majority or else be thrown out on their hind quarters. It's toll free, and your taxes pay for it. Would you stand by and watch your family perish when you have the power to save them? Of course not. Then why are you doing that to your own country? one 9281 Perhaps you allow all this destructive, uncommon sense out of a distorted notion of tolerance. Remember what Aristotle said, tolerance is the last virtue of a dying society. You are tolerating the behavior that is destroying you. This wine was once rich, highly desired and admired, but when you dilute it with enough water, it stops being anything. Take back America now. Choose to be part of the second American revolution. Pressure, pressure, pressure. No presidential candidate, no political party can save you now. Only an aroused citizenry will turn this uncommon sense around. And he or she who does nothing now is helping them to destroy America. My name is Thomas Paine, and I approve of this message. I only hope to God you will, too. Well, well, well. Well said, Mr. Paine. Have we as Americans lost our backbone or just our way? A record number of veterans who defended our borders abroad 
are running for political office. A record number. Freedom isn't free. Listen in and learn. It's simple. If we continue in the direction we are heading now, we all lose everything. Every single bit of the republic of what is left, everything that people have sacrificed for, gone. Listen and learn. It's about we, the people, not the federal, state, or local government. Listen and learn how both parties, in their own way, it's not right and left. They're just looking to destroy. Wake up before it is too late. Well said by Thomas Paine. Speaking of elections, as the primary season approaches us, in Southern California there's a veteran who stands among veterans. His name is Nick Popovich. He wants to represent the 63rd District in Congress. Hang on, I'm going to cue, it up, cue this up. Around the world, I've seen people. Fight. Around the world, I've seen people fight and die for freedom. I've never known a day without it. I love my country. Too many people have fought too hard for our freedom and prosperity. You can be able to look your children in the face someday and say we gave that away. If you believe in lower taxes to create private sector jobs, a secure border to protect those jobs, and being an American is not something to apologize for, then stand on the wall with me. I'm Nick Popovich, and I'm running for Congress. I will listen to you, and I will fight for you. Approved and paid for by Nick Popovich for Congress. And in Arizona, none better than Martha Kelly. I my whole life that I could be whatever I wanted to be, and that was instilled to me as a, as a young girl. My dad's death at age 12 really was the single biggest impact in my life. I spent a little time with him between his first heart attack and his second heart attack, and I had no idea it would be the last conversation I would have with my father. He said, make me proud. And so those words resonated deeply in my soul as a young girl. When I wake up in the morning, if today is going to be my last day, what do I want to do today in order to make a difference? I am retired Air Force Colonel Martha McSally, and I'm running for Congress to represent the people of Southern Arizona. I was born a warrior. Um, I've been trained as a warrior. I've been tested as a warrior. This is the mighty A-10, the Warthog. This is the airplane I flew. It's a single seat close air support aircraft. You can see the Maverick coming off the rails. You can see the 30 millimeter gun here. There's nothing quite like the privilege of leading men and women in combat. It is serious business. You're in charge and their lives are in your hands. Uh, it's daunting, but it was the best opportunity that I had in the military and I was so proud to have been given that chance. Americans deserve freedom and Americans deserve opportunity. Those are just the fundamental principles of who we are. We have got to rein in our debt. We have got to get our economy going again. We have got to rekindle and unshackle the American spirit. Arizonans are also very concerned about border security. Transnational criminal organizations are operating in our neighborhoods trafficking drugs, weapons, people, and money. Uh, and it is a national security threat that is impacting the people of Arizona like no other in the country. Even when it seems impossible, when other people would have quit, I am an endurance athlete, so I just keep going. The core of who I am uh, is to don't take no for an answer, do the right thing, be a public servant, 
stand up for what's right regardless of the personal cost. And in my case, as a military officer, is I took an oath of office to the Constitution of the United States to defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I will do that again on Capitol Hill. It's a similar oath. I take it seriously. I put my life on the line for it, and I'll do it again. Martha McSally out of the state of Arizona. She wants to be your congressman. And Nick Popovich. Well, she wants to be your congresswoman. And Nick Popovich out of the San Diego area. No better candidate. we got to get him on here with Dr. Jones uh, for an interview. Um, Nick is a Marine. He lost his eye. And on his video, if you go to nickpopovich.com, they actually have the picture of his head down. He lifts up his head. You can see the eye hanging from the socket. A great hero. I mean, these people just got back from fighting abroad, and here they are now to take the big fight, take it to us. What's happened to the legislative branch, the judiciary, the executive? Well, here's one judge whose colors don't run, my friends. They simply are red, white, and blue. Does the government work for us, or do we work for the government? The Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and everyone who works for the government takes an oath to uphold it. Tonight, the president violates the Constitution. A principal foundation of American government is the rule of law. This is a value which we happily inherited from Great Britain, where the king was once an absolute monarch. There came a time in which Parliament actually debated the following question. Is the king superior to the rule of law, or is the rule of law superior to the king? Though our 21st century minds might chuckle at such a debate, people in England lost their lives over it. Eventually, the debate was won in favor of the rule of law, and begrudgingly, even the king acknowledged that he was subject to the law just like everyone else. When the American Republic was founded after the colonists had seceded from Great Britain, it was a given that the rule of law would be a building block of our society here. And the framers of the Constitution understood this when they guaranteed due process that is, predictability and fairness from the government. The rule of law has come to mean that the laws of the land apply to everyone. No one is above the law, meaning no one is free to disobey it with impunity, and no one is below the law, meaning it cannot be used to prosecute someone for reasons other than that person's alleged criminal behavior. If this were not so, then whoever heads the government would be a king. President Obama himself, when he was a senator from Illinois, correctly criticized then-President George W. Bush for signing a bill into law, making it a crime for federal agents to open and read your mail without a search warrant, and stating that he had no intention of enforcing the law. It is a self-evident truth that if the president can pick and choose which laws to enforce and which to permit to be violated, if he can decide which parts of the Constitution to follow and which to ignore, if he can treat the law as if he were in a cafeteria, some of this some of that, none of the other, then we don't have the rule of law and we don't have a president, but instead we have a king. So how is President Obama doing? Pretty bad. He too has signed bills into law stating that he won't enforce them as they're written. He started a war in Libya without a declaration of war from Congress as the Constitution requires. He has appointed hundreds of personal assistants, sometimes called czars, and has given them the power to run vast aspects of the government from the White House. Contrary to law, he has permitted federal agents to listen to your telephone calls, to read your mail, and to monitor your keystrokes on your computer, all without search warrants from judges as the Constitution requires. He has put Americans on an assassination hit list and has targeted them for killing. 
even though they have not been charged or convicted of any crime, much less sentenced to death. He has announced that hundreds of persons captured in the past 10 years in the government's so-called war on terror will not get trials, no matter what the Constitution requires or the Supreme Court says. And he has permitted federal agents to use torture, even though the Constitution itself, as well as three treaties and four federal statutes and 50 state statutes prohibit it. What are we to do? Well, you might not be a victim, and you might even hate the victims of the president's lawlessness. But if it goes unchecked, then we are back to that strange-sounding argument in the British Parliament, where the king, we call him the president, but he behaves like a king, is not subject to the same laws as the rest of us. And if you permit this president to break the law because he hates your enemy, you are planting the seeds for a future president to break the law because he hates you. As Robert Bolt reminded us in his play, A Man for All Seasons, the law protects everyone's freedom. If we let the president cut down the law to get to a devil, what will we do when the devil turns around and pursues us and there is no law for our protection? We at Freedom Watch will continue to be your night watchmen, but we can only do so if we have the rule of law. From New York, defending freedom every night of the week. I don't know about you, but I love Judge Andrew Napolitano. He is just just the best, period. There is no better. Freedom is not free. It is never, ever, ever free. Every single day we have an obligation to defend the Constitution. Every day.
Mike's got something, all right. He's got America. But there are guys who stay up nights figuring out how to take... Freedom is not free. There's always a price to pay. God bless the USA. What does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to be an American? Every single day, Americans have an obligation to defend the Constitution of the United States against all our enemies. And that includes somebody whose rights are being violated. It doesn't matter if we like this person or we don't like them. It is our solemn duty if the Constitution is being violated. What does it mean to be an American? This is how it begins, my friends. Hopefully this is not how it ends. Mike's got something, all right. He's got America. But there are guys who stay up nights figuring out how to take that away from him. I happen to know the facts. Now, friends, I'm just an average American. But I'm an American-American. And some of the things I see in this country of ours make my blood boil. I see people with foreign apple money. I see Negroes holding jobs that belong to me and you. Now I ask you, if we allow this thing to go on, what's going to become of us real Americans? I've heard this kind of talk before, but I never expected to hear it in America. It's from a saint and all he's talking about. What are we real Americans going to do about it? You'll find it right here in this little pamphlet. The truth about Negroes and foreigners. The truth about the Catholic Church. Do you believe in that kind of talk? That all makes pretty good sense to me. And I tell you, friends, we'll never be able to call this country our own until it's a country without. Without what? Yeah, without what? Without Negroes. Without alien foreigners. Without Catholics. Without Freemasons. What's wrong with the Masons? I'm a Mason. Hey, that fellow's talking about me. And that makes a difference, doesn't it? These are your enemies. These are the people who are trying to take over our country. Now you know them. You know what they stand for. And it's up to you and me to fight them. Fight them and destroy them before they destroy us. Thank you. Before he said Mason, you were ready to agree with him. Well, yes, but he was talking about... What about those other people? But in this country, we have no other people. We are American people. What about you? You aren't American, right? I was born in Hungary, but now I am an American citizen. And I have seen what this kind of talk can do. I saw it in Berlin. What were you doing there? I was a professor at the university. I heard the same words we have heard today. But I was a fool then. I thought Nazis were crazy people, stupid fanatics. But unfortunately, it was not so. You see, they knew that they were not strong enough to conquer a unified country. So they split Germany into small groups. They used prejudice as a practical weapon to cripple the nation. Of course, that was not easy to do. They had to work hard to do it. You see, we human beings are not born with prejudices. Always they are made for us. Made by someone who wants something. Remember that when you hear this kind of talk. 
somebody is going to get something out of it. And it isn't going to be you. This is not classroom theory. I saw it happen. I saw it first in Berlin in 1932. Five young men that I knew were standing in the crowd listening to the Nazi speaker. Eric was a Catholic. Anton, a student of mine, was a Jew. Heinrich owned a small hardware store. Karl was a farmer. And Hans was an unemployed metal worker. To all Bavarian Germans, I say at this time you inherited the nation which rightfully belongs to you. To you alone belongs the glorious destiny of the greater Germany. The Nazi party will provide land for the farmer, work for the worker, and profit for the small businessman. Who is getting these things now? The Jew. The Jew who has stolen our nation and our birthright. Who makes all the money and takes all our jobs? The Jew! He must be shunned. He must be ostracized. He must be eliminated. And the Catholics. We don't want our great nation run by a foreign church. We Germans will know what to do with these people when the time comes. They and their faith must be destroyed. Then there are the Freemasons. In Germany, we have no place for secret societies. There may be only one society, and that is the Nazi party. There may be no secrecy about that in the new greater Germany. One by one, he attacked each minority, and he split them off one from the other. These men were all fellow Germans when they came here today. Now they were split into rival groups. Suspicious of each other, hating each other. They were being swindled, all of them. But the man who was really being fooled was Hans. He was pure German, according to Nazi standards. To him, they promised everything, and he fell for it. That's how Hans became a superman. They gave him a uniform, and they pumped up his ego. He wasn't just a little fellow out of work anymore. He was a member of the master race. Hundreds and thousands of others like him, all playing a sucker's game. They gambled with other people's liberty. And of course, they lost their own. A nation of suckers. Hitler needed these people. There was lots of work to be done. There were trade unions to be smashed because unions were organized and might offer resistance. There were many political parties in Germany. These the Nazis destroyed. They were determined to smash every organization where people might band together and resist them. There were Jews to be beaten and killed. The Jews were not powerful, but they were a convenient excuse for all the nation's ills. And besides, a Nazi party member could not take over this man's store. Hundreds of Catholics were put in jail because the Catholic Church had strength and could resist the Nazi drive for power. They had split the nation into a hundred pieces and then one by one they had destroyed the pieces. Over these broken pieces the Nazis rode into power. One party, one nation, one religion. These men had won their struggle for power. They now ruled all of Germany. But still they had trouble with their oldest and most persistent enemy, the truth. They found the truth 
does not die easily. And so they decided to abolish truth. One great source of truth is literature. So they burned books, 20 million of them. Many great men in Germany who were spokesmen for truth were jailed or driven from their country. Teachers, writers, scientists. Education was discouraged. In five years, college attendance dropped 53%. It was forbidden to listen to a British radio program or read an American newspaper. In Nazi Germany, you had to get your information from Dr. Goebbels. He knew what was best for you. The church was one force in Germany still strong enough to proclaim the truth in public. This Catholic priest was arrested the following day on charges of immorality. The Protestant church also continued to try and fight for truth. The Nazis put this man in a concentration camp. There were others who spoke for truth, and I am proud to say that educators were among them. And what, may I ask, is an area? I don't know myself. But let us see what our present so-called authorities have to say about it. They say he is tall. Slender. Blue-eyed. And blonde. There is no Aryan race. And more important, there is no master race. There are people who may find these ideas convenient, but science cannot support them. There is no scientific proof that there is any correlation between a man's racial characteristics and his native ability or character. In all racial groups, we find the same range of potentialities. We find idiots and geniuses. We find criminals and philanthropists. We must judge each man as an individual and not by the color of his skin or his eyes or by the length of his nose. Come in, gentlemen. It's comfortable. And remember that there is no master race. That is a scientific truth. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. And so for all practical purposes, truth had been abolished in Germany. A lot of my German friends wondered what had hit them. How did it happen? Where did it start? It started right here. And this was where it could have been stopped. If those people had stood together, if they had protected each other, they could have resisted the Nazi threat. Together they would have been strong. But once they allowed themselves to be split apart, they were helpless. When that first minority lost out, Everybody lost time. They made the mistake of gambling with other people's freedom. Now let's see how those bets paid off. Carl the farmer was gambling on a better life for himself. 
what we got was extra hours of back-breaking work, as much as a hundred hours a week. He was forced to stay on his land and produce what he was told to produce, because now Hitler was preparing for war. For Heinrich, who owned the hardware store, the bet didn't pay off either. 104,000 small businesses were closed in two years. And for Hans, conditions hadn't improved any. He had a job now in the munitions factory, but he worked long hours for little pay. The working conditions grew increasingly bad. And even though he didn't like the job, he wasn't permitted to leave it. And when Hitler decided the time was right, Germany went to war. Not by declaring war, but by a carefully prepared sneak attack. Once again, Hitler needed Hans to do his dirty work. Hans was an expert at brutality this time. And Hitler had decided to use Hans and his brutality against other people. The Czechs, the Poles, the French, the Russians. But in the crucial test of war, Hitler's race theories didn't pay off. His pure-blooded supermen were defeated by the mongrel armies he despised. By the British of El Alamein. By the Russians at Stalingrad. Then on D-Day by American soldiers of every color and religion who smashed across the Normandy beaches and drove on through to the heart of Germany. For the misguided Germans who had swallowed the Nazi bait, the Nazi game did not pay off. The continent of Europe was strewn with millions of German bodies, pure Aryan bodies. Karl the farmer was left in the snow outside of Moscow. Heinrich stayed in Italy at Salerno. And Hans, who was going to rule the world, got only a little patch of Normandy that he could call his own. We must never let that happen to us or to our country. We must never let ourselves be divided by race or color or religion, because in this country we all belong to minority groups. I was born in Hungary. You are a Mason. These are minorities. And then you belong to other minority groups, too. You are a farmer. You have blue. You go to the Methodist church. Your right to belong to these minorities is a precious thing. That's right. It is precious. We are Americans. Find out who's running for office and take a stand. This democracy will only stand as long as we are willing to fight for it. On behalf of C. Robert Jones, this is Cool Mike. Good night, everybody.